Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with two former MLB teammates, Ryan Franklin and Joel Pinheiro. All right, let's do this! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a couple of my Mariner teammates from the early 2000s. Both respectively went on to 12-year major league careers. Together, we won 116 games in 2001, and the boys are here to tell you about it. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Franklin and Joel Pinheiro. Guys, welcome to the program. Good to be here, Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. You got it. You got it. All right. I'm going to start off. We got we got a bunch of people on the line. I've, I've done a, the dual podcast before. We're going to go with Ryan first. Ryan, give me a little give me a little brief. Ryan Franklin as a kid growing up. What was a little Ryan like? I know I know you grew up in, in Oklahoma. You're born in Arkansas. Uh-huh. Give me a snapshot right. of you as a kid. Snapshot of me as a kid. I um, let's see. I started kicking around. Throwing around a baseball about four, and uh, probably about let's see, I probably weighed like thirty pounds because <laughs> I was Joel. I, I was Flacco then too. <laughs> but uh, You're, he, but no, Joel, man. he's he's seventy eight pounds now. <laughs> Wet <laughs> without the beard. No, actually, I'm 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 I've got a fighting weight of two hundred pounds now. It's like the fattest I've ever been. I did say Come fat. <laughs> But, uh, no, man, I, I played baseball, you know, started at four, and, you know, I, I didn't – obviously there wasn't any travel ball, nothing like that. It was whatever season was that time of year is what I played. It was basketball season, played basketball. Played football season – or football season, played football, and baseball was the same and kind of just did that all the way up till my high school days and then uh, went on to a JUCO in Oklahoma – Seminole Junior College, and uh, did all right there, and then didn't care that much for school, so I was like, you know what, I'll get drafted if I'm going to go. So, 22nd round was in uh, 92, and then I was at what they call a draft and follow. I know you two guys know what it is, but the younger generation never heard of a draft and follow, but I signed before the draft in and, and 93 and, and took off and hit about every stop in the minor league, sometimes more than once. And uh, finally got the big leagues in 99 for a little three-month stint. And then uh, 2001 made the team. And then that was kind of all she wrote. But that's that's just a quick rundown. Joel, you had a little bit different. You are born in Puerto Rico. I know uh, at, at about the age of 10, you moved moved to Florida. But give me a little – I couldn't imagine a little a little Pinero growing up. What was Joel like? And by the way, did either one of you guys hit? Or were you all pit, always pitchers? No, I no, sucked I, hitting. Man. Go ahead, JP. No, I was really bad hitting. That's why I really ended up a pitcher. I loved hitting, but I'm just not good at it. <laughs> I've, I've even even, though, even when he got to be grown up, he still couldn't hit. And neither could I. <laughs> no, I, I saw that tired act when once in a while. Uh, for you listening to the Boom Podcast – in the big leagues, once in a while, especially in the American League, before they they changed to the DH, you know, throughout the big leagues, once in a while we'd have an interleague play or something, and, and that was the pitcher's mm-hmm. cue to, oh, we're going to have pitchers BP. And believe me, 
these guys, when they get to go hit, I mean, it's like Christmas morning and you you go out there and they're so competitive. They'll, they'll pick a game to play. The rest of us, you know, we're getting ready for batting practice, but once in a while we'll wander out there to check out these tired hacks. And I'll tell you, it's, it's comical, but, but it's also fun for us as position players because just to see you guys get into it. And, you know, it's almost like you're fighting out there to win and you guys are calling base hits and you got an umpire and he was wrong. Uh, pretty cool, though. All right. But back to Joel. Joel, give me, Honestly, give me, yeah. give me young Joel. So I guess uh, in Puerto Rico, my dad was a professional pitcher in Puerto Rico. He played baseball. And like around Frankie says, like around four or five, six years old, I was out of the, always at the ballpark when he was having games. And, you know, my parents divorced uh, when I was like 10. My mom said, we're moving to Disney World, we're going to Orlando, and then started from there. I did not, my mom did not let me play football. She thought I was going to get hurt. So I played everything else, basketball. Uh, I kind of was bad. I made JV, so I kind of quit. In, ba- in volleyball, I made varsity, so I played that all my years. And then obviously, I started as a freshman uh, in baseball at shortstop, which it was kind of something I, I always had a, a good arm and good defense. But like I said, my stick was not very good. And <laughs> my junior year, I really started pitching a lot more. And like Frankie said, I went to a junior college in Fort Myers, which was Edison Community College, which nowadays is Florida Southwestern. Uh, and kind of like Frankie said, this might be my only chance to get drafted. I, I got drafted in the 12th round. And I took a chance and uh, <clears throat> I kind of, honestly, I, I kind of moved up really quick through the minor leagues. I signed in 97 and August 8th of 2000, I made my debut against the Chicago White Sox that I went six plus innings, got a win. But the crazy thing is I got sent down that same day because it was a double header and they needed my roster spot. So, you know, <laughs> I was on the plane the same night I pitched uh, and I won my first big league game. But uh, like I said, everything from there started, you know, working really good and, you know, I, I was a competitor, man, like Frankie. It was just, I didn't care who was hitting, who's, what team I'm facing. I'm just going out there and going to work. And, you know, like I said, it's a kid's game, but at the end of the day, you got to perform. No, I think that's cool. And I don't, I, I think that, you know, you hear out there publicly and, and the fans like to always, you know, there's a lot of negativity towards Major League Baseball players, but that's, that's it in a nut, in, in a, uh, in a nutshell, right there, I think you said, hey, not only did I, I was on a flight, I pitched, I won my first big league game. And then all of a sudden I got sent to the minor leagues. A lot of fans all the time don't get to see all the sides that that players go through and how tough it is to battle through the minor leagues and finally get your chance. And not only when you get your chance, take advantage of your chance and stay, you know what? Uh, the older guys used to tell me when I first got called to the big leagues, Booney, the easiest part is getting here. The toughest part is staying here. We all had different journeys. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned you were a 92 draft pick. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and is this true? Seminole junior college. Did you go 20 and O, or is that a misprint? Who goes 20 no, that's, and that, That's That's correct. 20, 20 and O. So that, in college, he never lost Joel. I went ten and one, and I thought that was great. One year, <laughs> he went, yeah. Franklin went twenty and zero. Right? Hey, how are way, you? I, Go ahead. I got Florida Junior College Pitcher of the Year for Florida, nineteen ninety-seven, and I thought that was a great year. But how how do you go how do you go twenty and zero and get picked in the twenty-something round? Tell me that <laughs> because because you're six three, one hundred and twenty-eight pounds. <laughs> oh my goodness! And and you, and no, you know, man. Ryan. And you know, Ryan, we were talking about it, uh, you know, off camera, 
And and we uh-huh. talked about the the trials and the tribulations of a minor league player. The difference between being oh. a a high draft pick and a lower uh-huh. round draft pick and the challenges there. Because you know these guys, these especially these days, the guys that are going the first, second, third, fourth round, they're getting pretty big money. And then and then the guys right. that get picked later, uh, give me some of the challenges you saw from yep. from being that first round pick bonus baby to a twenty second round pick. Right. So I mean. I, I, it was, it was a struggle because I was out pitching guys and they, they just kept, kept beating me up the ladder, beating me up the minor leagues. And I'm like, man, what, what do I got to do here? You know? And, and then, but you know what? You just keep battling, man. You just keep pitching. You just keep, my thing was, is I'm going to outwork everybody there. And even if they were a first rounder or whatever, you know, so what? I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I can, but it gets to a point where you start doubting yourself, right? And then you might have a, a you know, a bad a average, below average year, and you're like, dang, I'm going to get released. But then they, they, some reason, believe in you. And then uh, you almost feel like you're an insurance policy because I would never get hurt to this, to this I mean, 19 years of minor leagues and major leagues, and I never went on the DL one time, which is pretty crazy. But I think that's another reason why they kind of, you know, kept me around, but I mean, I, I just learned how to pitch, man. And, and me spending that much time in the minor leagues taught me how to pitch. So whenever I did get to the big leagues, I knew how to pitch. I wasn't going to have to go back down if I, you know, if I could do what I knew how to do and, and, and build a pitch and, and be consistent and get guys out. So, but, uh, Oh, and by the way, back on the hitting thing, my first major league at bat laser up the middle off of, uh, some, uh, Korean guy from the Mets. And then I didn't get another hit for 10 years later. <laughs> All right. And this is, this is something I found really interesting uh, in doing my prep work for you guys. You guys essentially, you know, we talked, Ryan, you got drafted in 92, Joel in 97. You essentially came to the big leagues right around the same time. You retired at the same time. Both have 12 years in the big leagues. You were teammates on those Mariner on those Mariner teams in the early 2000s when the three of us were teammates. But then, mm-hmm. years later, you're teammates in St. Louis, and Joel's a starting pitcher. Ryan, you're closing games. Yeah. The fact that that you two are on on the show today, I, I had no idea that your careers mirrored each other so much. But I thought that was pretty cool and pretty interesting. Yeah, but you know, Joe, Joe, he he always had way better arm than I did. He had a way better curveball, but I had like seven pitches. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. His stuff was his stuff has always been, you know, he he had always had first round stuff. I don't know how he didn't get picked in the first round anyway, but you know, um, but I I had to, like I said, dude, I was a poor man's guy, man. I, I had to freaking bust my ass and and hit every step in the minor leagues, but you know what? It I, I was it uh it made me proud. To whenever I got to the big leagues, and my whole goal—I'm sure JP's the same way—but my whole goal was just get to the big leagues. And just like you said, Booney, if it's the hardest thing to stay there. So whenever I got there, my first appearance—you know, I'm against the Royals, and my first strikeout was Beltron, and then I'm—and then I think my first out uh, uh, pop up the junior and outfit on Griffey, and I'm like, damn, this is, this might be kind of easy. Well, the the uh, following batter after that carlos fables took me deep i'm like well shit maybe it ain't so easy well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 97 pick i want to start with you on this where'd, where'd you start uh 
start off in the minor leagues? Where was your first uh, assignment? Uh, and I was just going to tell you that because I know Frankie. I ran into him playing winter ball. Then to me, uh-huh. winter ball was the biggest stepping stone to getting to the big leagues as quick as I did. Now, in 1997, my, my first manager was Orlando Gomez and Everett Aquasox. I didn't even know he was a manager for a Puerto Rican winter team. He goes, we picked you in like in the first round. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. He goes, don't worry. When you get to Puerto Rico, we'll call you. So now I started as an 18-year-old in Puerto Rico winter ball facing Ivan Rodriguez, Carlos Baerga, all those guys that were playing at that time. And it was just like, and I just grew up. And every year I wanted to go back to winter ball. And I played. And when I used to get back to spring training every year, it was like, what? I got to face these A-ball guys. I got to face these double A. Come on. I, I be, I've been facing big leaguers since I was 18, 19, 20 years old. And that process and that helped me mature and be a better pitcher. And, and just like I said, I wasn't afraid of anybody. And I told my son I was in college, it's like, it's just, you got to have, when you get on that mound, you control the game, you have ball. And that's what I mean, think helped me move along quicker. And then, like you said, you know, I got called up. I made my big league. I won. I'm, I'm on a plane at AAA to Tacoma. And uh, I mean, somebody got hurt like a couple of days later, I got called back up and I was in the bullpen. And I think I thrown in two months, I might've pitched three or four innings, which was kind of frustrating too, because you're in the big leagues, but then you're not pitching. So you're like, should I be in AAA starting and getting myself ready for the next year? But you know, it's, it, it's a process that you go through that, you know, you're throwing flat grounds on bullpens every other day. And then you don't even know when you're going to pitch, but it, it's part of the process that you go through. And, but to me, that stepping stone and playing winter ball as a young kid was what got me to get to the big leagues quicker. I agree, Ryan. man, because I, I, I got, I did three years of like 97. I was in winter ball in Puerto Rico and I played with Pudge and, and you facing, you know, big league guys. And then 98, I went to Venezuela and then you're facing, you know, Richard Hidalgo's and big leaguers over there. And I still ain't even sniffed the big leagues, and but then I'm having success over there, and then you come back over here, and it's it's, it's huge, man. I mean, I don't even know if, if winter ball is still even a thing or not, but it was great for us. Yeah, Ryan, we we missed each other by two years. I was in the '90 draft for the Mariners. You were in the '92. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Did what? What were the some of the stops you made? Because I went I went out of the draft. I went to Peninsula. Then I went to Jacksonville. Then I went to Calgary. Were those teams still in place when you signed? No, I, I was uh, Bellingham was my short season A team. That was the Baby M's. Uh, Baby M's, correct. And then the next year, I was uh, Appleton, Wisconsin, for like two months, and then that was Low A, and then High A was Riverside, California, and then I finished there. And then the next year was Double A in Wilmington, North Carolina. Did that for two years, and then Tacoma after that. Okay, so they completely yeah. mixed it up. Yeah, because yeah. those were none of my stops. No, in my years, I'm sorry I didn't answer your question earlier. Like I said, I started in Everett, 97. Then 1998, I started in Appleton, Wisconsin, the Timber Rattlers. I got called up halfway through the year to, which it was high, but it was Lancaster when I played. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having two starts, and they were in Orlando in 1998. Then 1999, they were New Haven Ravens in Connecticut. And I started there. And then I got called up to AAA. And then in 2000, I started in AAA until finally I got the call in August. Joel got eight games in 2000. Ryan, you got called up in 99. But mm-hmm. tell me the story about 2000. You, you wave uh, 
you're probably going to get called up to the big leagues again, but you want to go play on the Olympic right. team. I didn't even know that. I mean, I played on that. I, I played on a USA team in 1989, mm-hmm. but it was collegiate. We went to Cuba. Right. We did the whole thing, and, and we got our butts mm-hmm. whooped. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you guys ended up, you guys ended up winning a gold medal. Give me a little bit about the, yeah. that ex- that experience. So, did you go to Cuba? No, no. So in in 2000, I mean, JP, we, me, we were both in Tacoma, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and then, um, I mean, I, I was had, I had a good year, and then I, I forget who it was. Who was a uh, scout? Uh, not scouting. It's a farm director saying, "Hey, uh, they want you to." you know, maybe go over and play in the Olympics in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia. And, or if you don't want to do that, we said, we're going to call you up in September when we expand the roster. If I was like, well, hell, true that. I want to go represent my country in something I never thought that I'd be able to do in my life. And so I was like, yeah, we, I did it. And then we went over to, uh, we did like a, it was like a, a workout first to kind of see who made the team. And once again, I was freaking low man on the totem pole. So, I had to pitch my ass off to even make the team and then ended up going over there and heck Boone, I don't even know if you're, I mean, Boone's got a lot of um, accolades and everything, but I mean, are you in the Guinness book of world records? Boone? I am not. Uh, yeah. I got three wins in the Olympics is in the Guinness, it's a world, it's a Guinness book of world records. <laughs> Well, let me me tell you this. After I see the 20 and 0 in college and getting drafted in the 20 something round, I believe anything you got to say to me. All right. I want to hear this. And one of all of us probably agree on this. One of the all time classics. His name comes up all the time on this podcast. Mm -hmm. He he was on the podcast. But Uh Lou Piniella. First of all, what we know about Lou and, and the thing that's different is. When I was coming up in, in 1992-93, Lou was my skipper as a rookie. And, man, was he, was he tough on me. And we used to fight. We'd go back and forth. I got traded to Cincinnati. I went to Atlanta, San Diego, before I came back and joined <laughs> you guys in 01. I know mm-hmm. one thing about Lou. He doesn't like young players. And he definitely nope. doesn't like young pitchers. I want both your both your your first impressions of <laughs> Lou, the one and only Lou Pinella. I'll start with you, uh, Joel. Oh, I was going to say, I thought the, you know, the older man who goes, but okay. I, I'll tell you one day when I won Lou, uh, I told you I was in the bullpen and I, I did not pitch a lot. And I don't know where they hit the angels hit uh, Edgar Martinez, like three or four times in like a three game series. And Lou comes up to me. He goes, Hey son, you're going to throw an MF curveball in the dirt. Then you drill the F. And I was like, I looked at him and I said, like, what? You got it. Go out there. I threw a curveball that bounced like 40 feet because I didn't want to hang it and make sure he guy hits it. And, and, and obviously, later on, a teammate of mine that I ended up playing with was Troy Gloss. And he's a big boy. <laughs> and I, I did it. I hit him right on the side of the shoulder, the back. And I'm throwing my hands up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what to do. You know, they knew it right away. <laughs> I got thrown out of the game. I got fined, whatever. And then in the clubhouse, he goes, hey, that's what I'm talking about, son. He, I don't think he knew my name, by the way, but he goes, that's what I'm talking about, son. And then from there on, I, you know, that, I think that's when I won Lou over. That's pretty cool. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> yeah. what, what were your first impressions of Lou Pinella? Well, I mean, coming up, you know, when, when you're in AAA, you're like, 
you start hearing big league stories, right? Because you got a bunch of guys coming up and down, whatever. And then the biggest thing was is that he hates young guys that walk people. I mean, he hated walk, yep. period, but he did not like guys that walk, you know. So, I mean, that was my thing from then on. And I, and you know what? I think that was good for me because I didn't give a damn. I, I was not going to – I'm going to throw you a 3-2 fastball cookie right down the middle. And if you can hit it out, hit it out. But as, I think you remember, like – uh, 2005. I kept doing that, and I gave. I led the league in homers, giving up like 27 <laughs> or something. But I wasn't walking your ass. I promise you. <laughs> Not giving him a free pass. All right. Uh, no. I signed back with the with the Mariners in 2001, and uh, I want to take a little. You know, we got to have a glimpse at that year. It's it's obviously, you know, for all of us, probably the most unbelievable year. Unbelievable year probably to date regular season team. We won 116 games. But what do you guys remember about that 2001 uh, spring training? Joel? Well, obviously, I thought I had a good spring training. And uh, I was cut on the last day. I even made the trip to Seattle when we played the two exhibitions. And, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, they're like, hey, we need you to start in AAA because, uh, you know, we want you to start in the big leagues. And the only spot for you is in the bullpen. We need to whatever developed as a starter. So I did not make the team out of spring training. I think I got called up at the end of May. And, uh, you know, I started getting my chances here. I think Paul Abbey was the guy that got hurt and I started getting my chances, but man, it was just that year felt like it was just somebody new, some doing something to make us win the game. We weren't like counting on that same person every day. It was either you doing something or Edgar or Mike can't, it was just amazing. Mark Macklemore, the, the, the veteran guys on that team was just amazing. And I think somebody told me a story that we did not lose three games in a row to like the last week or second week of the season in September. And, and I remember when we lose two games, we're like, oh, we got this. We got this third win. And it was just like a new player, a new person doing something in, in that magical year, you, you know. Ryan, what do you remember? Yeah. I, I, and then I'll, I'll give you my two cents, but uh... – yeah, I'd like to see it through your eyes. You know, you're you're uh-huh. kind of making the team. This is going to be your first full year in the big leagues. Right. I remember I remember a couple of times Lou calling us over because it was a veteran pack team. You know, yes. were, mm-hmm. people always like to say, well, you guys weren't the greatest team of all time. I said, well, 116 wins says we were. But, you know, we had that team was full of all stars. We had batting champs on that team. We had nine right on that team or eight. Huh? Eight or nine all stars that year. Yeah, yeah John Oler, yeah, yeah. Right, but I'm talking about going into the season. We had guys with oh, track records. Okay. We weren't just a mediocre team. No, nobody was picking us to even win the division. I remember in spring training, and and I tell this story all the time. Lou pulled us all all, all uh, together on a certain day. I don't think we were playing that well in spring training. And Johnny Olerud is, as we all know, one of the most. Uh, <laughs> One of the most humble, nicest, relaxed person ever in, in in the history of the world. One of the greatest human beings I've ever met, and and really doesn't you know have anything negative to say about anybody. But, but Lou calls us around, and he kind of has a little temper tantrum because we're not playing well, you know. In spring training, as everybody knows, really not important. It's about getting your work in, getting ready for the season. But I remember him mm-hmm. calling us around, yelling at us, and says. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't just flip a switch when spring training ends. And Johnny, you know, Johnny, me and Johnny are kind of in the back and he kind of taps me and he goes, wow, 
Skip seems to be upset. You know, Olerud coming over from Toronto. <laughs> yeah. He's got a batting title. He just won a World Series. And, he, you know, he's, he's coming back to Seattle. And I remember the first, I think it was the end of April, when Olerud comes to me during a pitch and James and, and, and he uh, taps me on the shoulder. He goes, hey, remember that meeting Skip had in spring training? I said, yeah. He goes, consider that switch flipped. <laughs> and, and Johnny Olerud's like the last guy you're going to hear that from. But that's that's how fun that year was. That's what I remember about spring training. I had no idea uh, what was about to happen. We all knew we were a good team, but but obviously right. nothing could prepare us for what was coming. I mean, April, uh, Joel, you, you hit on the point that that we didn't lose three games. I don't think we lost a series until September. Yeah, something you know, like that. I knew somebody told me, you know, and, and it was it was just crazy. It was amazing. And it wasn't it wasn't an an arrogance about that team. We that team was fun. I mean, we had fun guys, veteran mm-hmm. guys that were very confident, but at the same time appreciated what we were going through, and we had a good time with it. And I'm often asked, uh, you know, what was it like? I said. I, I can't really explain it to you, but it was a look. We'd look at each other in the dugout. We'd be down, we'd be down five to three in the seventh, and, and we'd look at each other in the dugout and just hook eyes with somebody else. And it was like, you know, we're going to come back and win this game, right? Like we always do. And it wasn't rah rah. Tell everybody what we're going to do. It just happened, and it kept happening. Joel, you mentioned it was a new hero every night. It was. It was really that that squad and it, it seemed like somebody was coming through all the time. You had Stan Javier in left field filling in Macklemore playing all over the place. Uh, we had, you know, Ichiro mania in right field. Yeah. We just had a lot of moving parts that all worked together. Uh, take me through it, Ryan. What'd you think? What'd yeah. you think? What'd so, you think your first full season getting through April with 20 wins? And then all of a sudden we win 20 wins. We get 20 wins again in May. What's going through your head? Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've got to go back. So after the Olympics, if so, if, if I didn't make the team out of spring training in '01, this is something else probably not too many people knew that I had a I had a deal to go to Japan, and the Mariners were going to sell my rights if I didn't make the team to uh, to go to to play for one of those one of the, the Fukuoka something die hawks in japan but, i mean it's like a million and a half million and a half dollar contract and i'd come from hell making pennies you know not pennies but i mean like thirty, forty thousand dollars a year but i was i was I told my family look if we don't make the team we're going to japan and pat gillick you know told me hey you're you're, you're making the team and then here we go and man we had you know i thought i was in the bullpen kind of the kind of the mop-up guy with you know, I, and I think, I don't know, got five or six wins. If, you know, I was a guy who would say, I think Halama was a starter and, and Jamie and whoever it didn't go like past five innings, that was my time. And you, you guys are right. I mean, I, I find it difficult that people don't talk about this team more, but I kind of know why, because we didn't finish it. You know, we freaking didn't win at all. If you won 116 games, you should have won the damn thing, but just didn't happen. But I mean, it was fun, man. I mean, all the Arthur Rhodes and Jeff Nelson and Norm. I mean, they were awesome to me, man. And they were, yeah. you know, I, I I still I still talk to those guys today, you know. So it it was special, man. What a way to break in. 
Yeah, you had you were five and one with a, with a three seven Ernie, and, and I remember this yeah. about you, Ryan. It was you. You just wore many hats. It's like yeah. you know, we we need you to pitch six today. You'd come in in the second inning and pitch six. We need you to we need you to come in for for the seventh inning and and get to mm-hmm. Sasaki. You're doing that spot start, Ryan Franklin, right. and then Joel. Yeah. Joel, you had a great year. Second half, you're in the rotation. You go six and two with a two oh three, and, and you kind of settled into that to that to that role Booney one cool thing about that year uh one person I didn't even know about this till a couple years back somebody sends me a a paper clip and from 2006 with a picture I was the winning pitcher in game 116 I came in relief and through the fourth and fifth inning and obviously that I sent the guy like 10 cards because I never send them back that paper clipping <laughs> from the Seattle Times <laughs> but you know, I'm sorry, person. I don't even know. I can't remember. But I didn't know I was the winning pitcher in, in that game. So I was like – and then somebody reminded us that we lost the next game. We lost. We could have won 117. And we ended up losing that last game of the year. Yeah. And, I, you know, it was just something did, did that you was get a kind ball? of cool. Did you get a ball from that game? Well, we, we do have a ball. But, I mean, autographed by everybody. But, you know, one – one cool thing that Frankie and I have in common, I know this is going back and forth, but in 2003, Frankie knows what we did uh, with mm-hmm. Jamie Moyer, Freddie Garcia, and Gil Mesh. And one of those balls is sent to the Hall of Fame, by the way, that all starters made five starts. I know that's just jumping ahead of time, but it, it, it's something, like I said, Frankie and I have become friends you know, for a very long time, and hopefully we stay friends for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, we give me the same uh, five starters the whole year, Booney. That's right, in 03, right? Yep. Yeah. It didn't miss go, a start. Go I do find out when that, that happened again. Hey, remember, I was on that team. If you guys, yeah. I'm kind of getting pushed out here. You guys are going down. No, no. <laughs> Boone was there. I remember the bat flips. <laughs> Tell me this. Oh, yeah. What's your first impression of Ichiro? I, I just remember never seeing anything like it before. Because first of all, I remember coming to spring training and seeing this guy with Ichiro on his Like, okay, we're just putting first names on our back now. <laughs> and, and the jury was out. We had no clue what was going to happen. I mean, we got this guy that, you know, at the time didn't didn't interact that much definitely during spring training as as time went on he became a character and he became you know he's a very charismatic guy and obviously we know that the career that he had he got more than 3000 hits but i had never seen you know at that time i'd been in the big leagues for 8 or 9 years i'd never seen the fanfare i'd never seen that type of media presence and that coupled with mm-hmm. the year we were having you know brought in the national media on a regular basis when normally you don't get that type of press until you get to the postseason. Not only did we have that because of the pace we were on wins wise, but we also had the Japanese media because, you know, the Elvis Presley of Japan, Ichiro was was kind of making history being that first position player that, that really was playing at a high level. So what was your first impression of that? Um, My, my, my thing was I remember Lou going to him. I was in a dugout in spring training, and Ichiro was just hitting balls. You guys thought hitting balls in left field, hitting balls in left field. He's like, hey, son, can you pull the effing ball? And Ichiro went up like the next day and went deep, way deep right field. He's like, hey, there you go, Skipper, or some, something like that. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty hilarious. But, I mean, hey, that dude, that dude is fun to watch, man. Fun to watch him cheat and running down the first. One thing to me that stood out was just 
the guy's work ethic and his dedication, his routines that he had. I mean, I think by the one month of me being there, I knew what he was eating. I knew what he was doing when he's doing his stretching or his massage and then hitting off this, hitting off the, it was just, I mean, he had his routines and dedication and the work ethic was just, that's why he made him such a great player. And, and you know, obviously, like you said, 3000 hits, gold glove, whatever he, you know, all the accolades that he got, it was just fun to be part of, you know, and I spent there and I left 2006. So it's just fun, fun to, I spent five years, six years with him. It was just amazing to watch that for all those years. Right. That year we, we rolled into the all-star break. I think we had like a 15 or 20 game lead. I, I mean, I laugh at the fact that I think the Oakland A's that year won 104 games <laughs> and they lost the, the, the division by only 12. I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah. how unbelievably dominant we were. And it was, it was a once in a lifetime thing. And, and I think we all kind of knew that and we all just kind of, Hey, this, this probably the only time it's ever going to happen to us in our life. Enjoy this little carpet ride. And I, I think we had more than our share of fun. Second half, we pick up right where we left off. And, uh, you know, I go back to Seattle every once in a while, and I went to a Seahawks game a couple years ago. And I hadn't been there for a few years. And I walked into the stadium, and, and it was kind of a misty night. And, and I got into the stadium. And I got my seats and I looked around and I said, this is what Safeco was like in 2001, 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. I'd been on some pretty good teams at that point. So I was on some pretty good teams in Cincinnati. Uh, I was on a great team in Atlanta. We went to the World Series in 99. But never had I seen on a day in and day out basis uh, an electricity in, in that stadium. I mean, it could be a Monday night. And we're playing a last place team and it was 45 strong and it was rock and you could feel it before you took the field. I, I, and I, and I got that back when I went to watch a Seahawks game, I said, wow, this is the feeling that we had every single night. And it was pretty odd. You, do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was, uh, like you said, electrifying freaking, I mean, and, and after that season, you know, we just kind of, I mean, what do you do? You can't go and duplicate a 116 game the next year. And so you feel like you're kind of let yourself down a little bit, your team down, you know? But, I mean, yeah, whenever later on in my career, me and Joel, we were in St. Louis, and that's a pretty good fan base. They felt 40, 40 45 strong every night there, and even when you weren't that good. <laughs> Didn't win 116 games, but, it's, yeah, it's always fun pitching and playing in front of a, Nice crowd. No, I remember just during BP, I mean, you start getting 10,000, 15,000 just during BP. They're watching BP. They're cheering. They're yelling. And it was just like the, the vibrations, the, the, you know, it starts from that, you know, and it, and it feeds off to the players. I mean, they were a huge part of our, of our, you know, 116 win season. I think the next year we won like 92 games and we missed the playoffs. So it was yeah. just, I mean, during 116, yes, no excuses. Ran into a hot Yankee team. They just coming off winning World Series and the experience. And then I think they were just ahead of us of us because of that. You know, they had that experience. They've been there, done that Yankee Stadium. I remember one day when Luz came up, he said, I guarantee you game six in, in, back in Seattle. Like, and obviously we just came up short. But he goes, if this goes back to Seattle, we're winning this thing. And, you know, that's the way he was. You know, he, he always believed in us. So I just remember, too, walking around the city. That city was just electric. Anywhere you went, yeah. it was like – 
You know, it's probably probably what the Yankees do on a regular season when they travel. But yeah. but it was – all right, I'm going to do a little rapid fire with you guys. I'm going to ping pong mm-hmm. it back and forth, and we're going to go just some, some characters from that 2001 team. I'll start with Ryan. We're going to go with Mike – Cameron, Mike, he was kind of my partner in crime in the clubhouse, kind of running the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Biggest, smi- biggest smile in the world. Could strike out 10 times in a row. And, and I remember Cammy walking in, smiling and going, well, ladies and gentlemen, I was awful yesterday, but today's a new day. And I got a chance. <laughs> and, and I remember just that, man, that that positivity, <laughs> that smile and face. It really did. It really mm-hmm. lifted up a room. He had that uncanny ability. Give me a, give me a yeah. Cammy. Cammy. Uh, Cammy was, um, I mean, obviously the on the field stuff was great. I mean, whenever you and him went stupid that one night in Chicago and hit like 78 homers in one, one game or something. And then, uh, but Cammy on the mic on the bus, Go ahead into a hostile <laughs> <apartment>, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was the best, man. That was that was that was what I enjoyed about Cam. That's for sure. All right, Joel, well, I'm gonna go ahead. No, no same no. thing. You when coming into the clubhouse after a win, you know what we were listening to some MJ. You know that was Michael. You know Michael Johnson who put that Michael Jackson music, <laughs> right. chilling, and, and then on the bus trips when he used to say, "Fellas, we're coming into a hostile environment." Oh, yeah, gave me more yay. You know, that's just. <laughs> I, I, I talked to Kemi one time about through text, and like I said, he still has the same thing. So, but yeah, but definitely. Hey, and one thing, he was one of the best dressed, by the way, too. Definitely. And, and Macklemore would give him a little. Now, yeah, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to uh, Joel. Give me, a, give me a little Edgar Martinez. Obviously, the teddy bear of the clubhouse, the, the silent leader. Man, could break. Taught me a lot. Well, one of the best hitters that uh, obviously that I ever seen that I played with, and I played with some good ones. I played with Pujols and some great guys and David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez. But just the way Edgar would talk back to me because I'll, I'll see something he'd be like, "Hey Edgar, why is this guy hitter doing this against me?" Or he goes, "Ah, oh, that means he's flying open, he's staying close, or he's looking for the ball the other way." And just the way of him communicating with me as a pitcher, it was just he, he was a great teacher and a role model. You know, when I was there. So whatever Edgar said or whatever, I try to follow. And he was like, go watch video. The, mo- the video gets a lot of information that you don't see during the live game and stuff like that. So, like I said, silent, you know, and kill- killer. Ryan, I want to talk to you about yeah. Norm, Norm Charlton. Oh, can I say something about Edgar real quick? Yes, you can. Okay. So Edgar, I mean, like you said, they named the DH after him. One of the best hitters ever. And I could not get, man, you know how Edgar, he's cockeyed. And he would do these eye exercises, like, every day, man. But, God, he could hit. And, and, I, and I always thought every other team I've been on, some of the best hitters have the best eyesight, right? I mean, play with Pujols and Holiday and all those guys. They have the best eyesight. Well, they're freaking hitting over 300 every year. But, I mean, Edgar, hey. I mean, there's no way that he had the best outside, but that dude just freaking raked, <laughs> you know. And then that's, that's and then, Steve, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing is, y'all remember we we were on this team, and they and uh, Joel, you they kept Angels. I think Lou Pote hit Edgar, and I, you, I've never seen a side of Edgar like that when he charged him out. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> He well, went you know, nuts, dude. It was like 
Ryan, I played with a few guys, and, and I tell that uh-huh. you know, when people ask, uh, you know, because Edgar was one of my best friends in the game, still is. Right. Yep. And, and he's, he's a teddy bear. And he's, yes. you know, everybody loves, you never hear a negative word about Edgar Martinez. He's, he's just mm-hmm. a gentle giant, but I played with a few guys in my career. One was a Reggie Sanders uh-huh. who was, who was, couldn't be nicer, couldn't be kinder, but I'll tell you what, you push him to a certain level, get out of his <laughs> way. Edgar, same thing. It's like, it would take so much to get this man angry at you. But if you do. I would suggest staying out of his way. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like the devil. Was like, I mean, he made this roar when I was, we were out there on the field and he was trying to kill Lou Pote. <laughs> All right. Like, give me wow. a little Norm Charlton. Give me the, give me the Norm? Okay. So Norm, who was it? It started in spring training with Norm. I mean, me and Norm, we're both rednecks. We like the outdoors and all that <laughs> stuff. But uh, Jeff Nelson told me, I think it was, yeah, Nelly. We were in spring training. And he had, Nelly had his toenails, cutting his toenails out there in the <laughs> locker room. <laughs> and he, and he, he was, had them on a newspaper, all right? And so Nelly's like, hey, or maybe it was Buner, one of them. Anyway, there's like, Norm hates toenails. He said, you go take these toenails. And, throw, and Norm was in the hot tub in the in the training room so you take these and go throw them in the throw them in the hot tub and what's warm so i go and i i go i go right in there and i try to be smooth and just kind of flick them in there and he, he caught me well after the after bp comes out i come in there and i'm getting my don and charlie's box lunch out of my thing and there's a big turd curled up in my box lunch <laughs> 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 yeah, oh. so I I didn't mess with Norm no more, but Norm Norm taught me a lot about pitching, and I just knew that Norm Norm had some of the I don't know how I could say this. It might sound kind of weird, but he had with pitchers you got to have balls. You got to have big. And Norm had some of the biggest balls out on that mound. That freaking and Norm that was like end of his career, and he wasn't. He was maybe lower nineties maybe touching 90, but the dude wasn't scared ever. And he would just go after guys. And he taught me a little something about a little spitter, maybe. <laughs> you know, you bring that up and, and yeah. I, I think it's so poignant because I look back to that team and, and Joel, mm-hmm. I think of Ryan, I think of Norm, I think of Jamie Moyer. I think of Freddie Garcia, mm-hmm. Nelly, yeah. Uh, Arthur Rhodes. The one thing mm-hmm. you all had in common is you all had balls. You yep, really yep. did. And it, and if you got beat, you know, it, if you got beat, it wasn't because you were scared. It's because no. you went out there and you got beat. And baseball is really hard. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But right. over the years, you know, I tell people this all the time. I'll I'll take a guy with balls in a big game over the guy with mm-hmm. the best stuff. Because I know what I'm getting. Jamie Moyer at the end, and, and we laugh about Jamie Moyer, you know, because, shoot, he pitched till he's like 50. He's throwing mm-hmm. 78. But I'm saying he's one, of, he's one of the guys that I play with that has the biggest balls that I've ever – well, you got oh. to. Going out to the mound with that to. stuff. But the thing yeah. is, in a big game, Jamie Moyer on the mound, if he got beat, he wasn't going to get beat because he was scared. He was getting beat right. because baseball's hard and sometimes you lose. But I, I respected that and I really love that about that entire staff. And not only in 2001, mm-hmm. but 
but for for a, a decent amount of years in the early 2000s, the, the Seattle Mariners, they did. They had guys with balls, and, and it was pretty right. cool. I, I, I want both of you to comment on this one. And because mm-hmm. as I get a little bit older and I, I watch the game from a different vantage point, I, I've come to have a real appreciation for a catcher. You know, when I'm playing, I, I thought, oh, catcher, you know, what, 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 what's your offensive numbers? And now I really have an appreciation for having a great backstop back there that is in sync with you guys. And, and when mm-hmm. you go to the ballpark and you're, you're starting tonight, you're thinking, wow, I'm glad I'm throwing to a Dan Wilson tonight because we're on the same page. Even if I don't have my best stuff, I got a chance with Danny of getting me through without my best stuff. How important is that? And, and the more I watch this game, I realize the importance of it just for the psyche of the pitching staff, for those guys having a good feeling when they come to the ballpark. Then on the other foot, you know, you got teams that struggled with defensive catchers and, and I think, wow, that sets the whole tone for that rotation and that bullpen th- thinking, oh, man, we got to throw to this guy again. You know, from a psychological standpoint, it's definitely a disadvantage. Tell me how right or wrong I am with that. And, and tell me about mm-hmm. Dan Wilson kind of being the he, he kind of being the captain of that rotation. And, and uh, I have a real deep appreciation for what he did for those early 2000 Mariners. Yeah. Um, Take I'll it go, first, uh, uh, Ryan. Go yeah. ahead. Um, I mean, I was thinking pretty lucky, man. I had I had Dan for almost a whole career, career time in Seattle, and I had Yadier Molina my whole time in St. Louis. And, uh, dude, you're exactly right because once you have those guys back there, first of all, it takes the, the thought process of what pitch I'm going to throw out of your head so you can focus on something else. You can focus on your mechanics. You can focus on – what I got to do to get this curveball to where I want to throw it. Um, and then exactly where, yeah, well, you got uh, somebody has to have a day off. Yachty has a day off or Dan has a day off. And nothing against the backup catchers at all, but you got to start thinking more. And, you know, it's you want to take a guy like those guys, it, you take at least the thought process of calling a game out of the picture. I think my whole time in my five or six years in St. Louis, I shook off Yachty probably 10 times, you know, and I would rarely shake off Dan too, you know, but um, man, it's, it's huge. And I guarantee you, JP will tell you the same thing. Yeah, no, well, Joel, do you, do you concur with that? I just think it makes, it makes sense. It makes sense as a non-pitcher talking about it. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> We definitely non-pitcher, but yeah, one hundred percent. You know, uh, I mean, he, he was just even though you don't like you say you don't have your best stuff. He made you think like you had your best stuff. Talking in between innings, he'd be like, "Hey, we got to get this pitch over," or "Don't be afraid to throw this pitch. It'll come around. Watch. It's only the second inning. Just trust your stuff. I got you. You know, work with me." And it's, you know, same thing like Frankie says. Sometimes that catcher has a day off, and you're like, maybe you're overthinking too much. And, and it's nothing against the backup catcher or nothing like that, but. It's just that demeanor they have back there. They're not guys that take their at-bats onto the field because that's when you have guys losing it. You know, they're worrying about a strikeout. They're trying to pitch the way they were pitching to, and it's not the, that's not pitching. You know, you don't have the, the, the trust in the pitching staff or in the bullpen if you're just going out there throwing stuff like how they're pitching you. So it, it takes a big part of it. And like Frankie said, I, I was able to have Jason Veritek for a little bit in, in Boston and Yadi when I went to St. Louis, and then – once Yadi got pissed at you or something, when you don't like, you don't follow him, he'll throw you a little 
90 something back to on the mound and you're like, you got it. And then you're like, all right, okay, let me get back into this game plan. Cause we talk about stuff before the game and then you kind of lose it. And then he'll give you a nice little fastball back up to you. And you're like, hey, let's go to work. You know? So it's just stuff like that, that people, you know, another guy that I had in Anaheim was Jeff Mathis. Jeff Mathis was not like a huge power guy, but he, his defense was the number one thing. He used to call call great games and stuff like that. So I was always able, very fortunate to have great catchers and you know Mike Knapp and all these guys. But uh, like it, it takes part and it takes heart to go ahead and call a game and and let that pitching staff follow you. Yeah, and I, I definitely have an appreciation for it. And I don't think it gets enough attention, that pitcher-catcher relationship. It's like you guys are a team. You're in your own separate world. rest of us are playing mm-hmm. defense for you as, as well as we can. But, but you know when you, when you got the ball that night, you know who the most important guy in that locker room is. You know I might be able to hit a home run, but, but if, if, you, if you don't pitch well, we're not going to win. So it makes, uh, yeah. it's, pretty, it, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. 9-11. You guys remember where you were 9-11? I remember. Yep. We were in Anaheim. Anaheim, yeah. Yep. Take, take me through your day. We had, we had uh, an old friend of all of ours, Ron Spellacy and, and Teddy Walsh. Uh, on the program huh. recently, but nine eleven. Ron, Ron told me about you know what he had to do as a traveling secretary to to get us all safe and get us to where we needed to go. Take me through that day for you. Joel um, first. Right, let's go with Joel actually, first. No, what, with Joel. Okay, go ahead, JP. Uh, that is, no, so I remember my wife was back. You know, Shirley was back in Puerto Rico, so. She calls me. We're in the West Coast in Anaheim. She's like, oh, we're like 630 in the morning or whatever, seven o'clock in the morning, like turn on the TV. And I was like, why why would I turn on the TV? And then that's obviously that one plane I hit. And then the next one hit. And it was like, what? It was just I didn't even know what was going on in my hotel room. And by that time, you have your own hotel rooms in the big league. So you're like, you don't have a roommate to talk to. So you're trying to call. Obviously, I called Freddie Garcia first. Are you watching this? And just and we spent what I think we spent five or six days in Anaheim in that in the hotel in the double tree and none of the restaurants were open it took like three or four days for restaurants to open and it was just i know we had plans to take a bus they got the bus everybody's buying pillows and the next thing you know we have a plane back to seattle but it, it was kind of a scary obviously not only for us for for the whole you know nation mm-hmm. so right. i i think my my family was actually with me in anaheim which made it kind of cool because um i remember waking up and seeing it on TV because my freaking wife sleeps with a TV on all the time. But anyway, uh, saw that and, um, you know, and, and I, do I, is this right that did Spellacy, were we the first flight in the whole United States off, off, off the ground? Yep. Booney, you know that? Yep. That was, yeah. <clears throat> That's, I mean, you well, give, what give happened little, was, you know, props. Right, we had a we had two buses to take us back, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden, Spellacy got a phone call from I believe it was a connection he had maybe with Alaska Airlines, and they said, "Ron, mm-hmm. I'm telling you this, we've got a we've got a plane for you, if you can get here." And it was like in Long Beach, and I guess he called I, I forget who the owner of the club was at the time, who was that general partner, but they said, "Book it, tell them," and they took the buses that were going to take us back to Seattle to Long Beach and got on that plane. But yes, that is accurate. Good gosh. You imagine that bus ride. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We, ne- we never had to go on. Did you guys ever go down? Cause we went to New York uh, shortly after. Did you guys go down to, to uh, 
ground zero at all? I, I remember I did. me and me and Big Olerud went. Did you go, Ryan? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I went down there because I had a a buddy who is a, was a, a New York City police officer at the time, and he took me. He took me down there. It's freaking crazy, dude! Amazing. And, was, and that was before you know our iPhones, and so we don't. Yeah. Really oh yeah. Only the memories, you know, but I remember going down right. there and just the smoke was still billowing. It was a it was kind mm-hmm. of a surreal scene. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get you to the to the night we break that we 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 get the one sixteen. Uh Joel's already told us that he was the winner in that game. By the way, Joel, I think I went deep to help you win that game. <laughs> you definitely did. I think I did. I think I did. But who would play? Cleveland. Texas. No, Texas. Oh, no. Texas, oh, I Texas. think you're right. I think it was Texas. Yeah, because I, I know. The, the, go no, the Patrick Patrick Mahomes' dad was the winner the next game. Right. I had the paper clip. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' dad. How old are you, Joel? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's all, I got the paper clippings. No, I know, but you're saying Patrick Mahomes' dad, like like he wasn't Pat Mahomes. <laughs> No, whatever. You know what I mean. Patrick, Pat Mahomes Sr., the guys that are. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm Puerto yeah, Rican, yeah. bro. <laughs> no, but, you know, I remember that that stretch, and I remember that clubhouse, and I remember how many media members were there. And it seemed like every single day as we got closer, they'd be in my locker. Are, are you guys going to do it? Are you guys going to do it? How many times can I tell you? I don't know. You know, we're on pace to do it. We're on pace to do it. And. Finally, that night, we do it. It's unbelievable. You know, we didn't have a big celebration. I think we had a few bottles of champagne in the clubhouse. But, you know, we still had to finish the season and go to the postseason. But here's the excuse I make, and and I don't know if you guys make this, but when people ask, how did you guys not finish the deal in 2001? When it was a foregone conclusion, and definitely in our minds it was. But I always think, you know, we had so much media and so much harping. Are you going to break the record? Are you going to break her? Almost like the night when we won a 116, it was almost like we all took a, a deep breath and said, finally, it's over. Oh, wait a minute. We still got to go play in the postseason. So that's the, I don't know if that's accurate, but that's the excuse I use on, on why we didn't finish the deal. But uh, I mean, you know, I, went- I agree with that 100%, man. That everything you said right there with being relieved because it was like, I don't know, we didn't feel pressure, but you know, we just got tired of the hoopla and the freaking people asking, you know, just leave us alone, let us play. But I guess that's their job, that's what they do. But yeah, and then, you know, hell, maybe we just, we peaked all season long, should have saved it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think when we went to, uh, you know, we went to Cleveland. It wasn't like there was a possibility we were going to lose. We, no, it was already written on the wall as a matter of how many games. And we didn't play that well mm-hmm. in Cleveland. We didn't play that nope. well in Cleveland. We ended up winning the series. And then we got to take on the Yankees. And, and if I, if my memory serves me right, we had handled the Yankees pretty well that year. So there yes. were no... Oh, yeah. There were no, you know, none of us were worried. It's like, you know, usually you're grinding and, all right, we got to get through the next series. We got to get through the next series. That particular team, I don't remember that. It, it was the confidence was at such a high level that it's like just a matter of time, but we will win. And then, you know, we lose three to one in that Yankee series. And I remember being on the bus and being like shell shocked 
and I was looking around at other players and they were looking at me and, and the look was like, what just happened? There's no way that just happened. That's not how the script ends. This is a, this is a fairy tale yeah. and it's supposed to end a certain way. But I remember us getting a police escort from Yankee stadium back to the hotel. And it's almost like you had to say, this really happened. We, we're not going to the world mm-hmm. series, let alone, we're not going to go to the world series. And if you don't go to the world series, you can't win it. But uh, it was mm-hmm. kind of a surreal right. thing and, and kind of a bittersweet end to an unbelievable run. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. It bittersweet. I agree, you know, we, we, like I said, Frankie says, we peaked maybe a little bit too early. And me as a young guy, I'm still having fun thinking, oh, my goodness, this is how the big leagues is. You know, coming in, I came in 2000, we went to the playoffs. In 2001, went to the playoffs. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, and winning 116 <laughs> nope. games. And I thought, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> But it's not that you can reality. It's like bittersweet. Like, and then you honestly, as a younger guy, yes, I felt bad. But then you see veteran guys with tears in their eyes, like, man, we had this. And, and it was just like, wow, I, I never expected to see that guy with tears. And because it matters so much to them knowing that they're, oh, they're later in their careers or this could have been their only chance or whatever it is. And that's when you take pride in saying, like, you know, you've got to take every game like it's your last game. And then, prepare yourself for every season or whatever it is. And it's just a matter of like, this might be my last year in the big leagues. Who, who knows? So it, it was sad. And when I was prepping for this, you know, obviously these are for those out there listening to the, to the podcast. These are two of my, uh, my favorite guys and, and some of my favorite teammates of all time, but I didn't realize how much they had in common. And, and I mean, you, Ryan, you and Joel, these guys came mm-hmm. up together mm-hmm. pretty much 99, 2000. They retired after the, the 11 season. Uh, that was their last time they pitched in the big leagues. They played together all through the Seattle days. Mm-hmm. And then they were reunited. You guys are reunited in St. Louis. Um, Ryan, you turn into a closer. You, you say all-star third, closer, all-star closer in 2009 <laughs> with a one nine two Ernie next year. You followed Jeez. up with 27 saves Joel that year in 09, where, where Ryan went to the, went to the all-star game. You were 15 and 12 with a three, four, and you guys are teammates again. And uh, yeah. so, so I look at that relationship and I'm thinking, well, that's pretty cool. They kind of walk, you kind of had the same big league life. Yeah, no Definitely. doubt. And I mean, that's why we, we, we still talk to this day. And, uh, no, I, I mean, yeah, I never thought that I'd be a closer, dude. Come on. I always thought closers were supposed to be like the Moe's and the freaking guys that threw super hard. And, you know, but I don't know. David, Dave Duncan just believed in me that I could control the count and, and with four or five different pitches. And I don't know. Just, it just worked out. Good defense. I remember my my thing with Joel. Joel, remember that one game in New York? You threw like twenty seven ground balls or something. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I had twenty one ground balls out, out of, and I weighed twenty one ground ball out, Booney, out of twenty seven <laughs> for a CG shut piece. I I, two hitter, two hitter, and an, Sorry, old, an old an old teammate of ours got a base hit in the ninth inning. Jeremy Reed. Big Reed, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. think Big Reed now isn't he the uh, hitting coach? H- hitting coach. Yeah. Yeah. I gave up one hit in the first inning. Then I didn't give up another hit to the ninth inning. But I'll tell you what, well, one, Frankie one and I were so close. And yes, I, I remember when Frankie got that nod for the All Star game. We were in Cincinnati. And obviously, you know yeah. how the TV, they say it later. And 
I guess Tony called Frankie into the office and I, you know, we're kind of expecting it. And I'm looking by the door and I'm looking at him and he just looked at me and his eyes just felt red and he just gave me a hug. And I was like, it felt like if I was going to the all-star game, you know, that was that bond, that friendship that we had. And it was like, bro, mm-hmm. Frankie, like you're going to the all-star game as a closer. You know, it was just like, I, I don't know. It was just a happy moment, not only obviously for him, but for me, like, cause like we were expecting it, you know, we're waiting for him to come out of the office and he just started like, red face he's already a redneck but it got redder you know it was just you know but yeah that's that's it like i said that's that's at flaco you know so that's a great bond that like i said hopefully it's for a lot of more years to come that's pretty cool and you know i didn't i didn't have this plan for the podcast but uh we talked about lou lou a bunch give me Mm -hmm. uh you go from lou to tony la russa what are the Mm -hmm. what are the similarities what were what were the differences well, obviously Ryan, Lou was, yeah, obviously Lou was freaking so much uh, high strung than Tony. Tony's Lou was a more blow off the handle, just say whatever you think, and Tony was more of a thinker, you know. And uh, Tony, Tony was always the first one to the field and the last one to field. He would he would make the lineup out the 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 previous day for the next the night before yeah. i mean yeah yeah but it was uh i mean both of them outstanding managers in their own in their own ways but i mean i i really love both of them man i mean i still i don't talk to lou if i saw him i you know have a good conversation with me but I, i'm still in touch with tony and um i you know he he protected me a ton <laughs> or tried to whenever in 2011 whenever i sucked and was seeing that it was the end of my career but he tried to and and that showed me a lot for him. Like I I blew the first save of the freaking year, the first game. Like Cameron Maben hits a home run off of me on a first pitch curveball. Who's looking for first pitch curveball in the ninth inning? Nobody me. swings at that. Sure enough, he's <laughs> <laughs> gone. <laughs> and then I don't know, just some bad luck happened and bad pitches being thrown. And you know Tony would not throw me at home because you know the boo birds were starting to come out when oh. Franklin would come in, so he he kind of felt bad for me. But I know that's just that's just when I look back, you know, he didn't have to do that. Hell, he could have had me released or whatever. But you know that that showed me uh, I got a lot of respect for him. Similar, Joel. Yeah, same. I mean, old school mentality. You know, they're to me they're players, coach. You know, manager. They go out there. You know, I remember a couple of times even Tony would be like. He, if he comes, if I hear, if I see anything in the papers or on the news on TV about you guys pointing fingers, we win as a team, we lose as a team. That's all I gotta see. I don't want to hear any crap about anybody pointing fingers. And kind of Lou had the same thing, you know. He was just, it is what it is. We win together, we lose together. So that old school mentality was something big that you know. And to this day, I think sticks to me because I, I, I'm coaching high school. I mean, I'm a pitching coach in high school, and I have that come on that fire, like come on, you know. They're like, hey, you're going to throw us out, you know, they take it easy, you know, but, it, you know, it, it is what it is. But they're, I mean, some of the great managers, like I said, that I spent time with. I had Terry uh, Francona and then I had Mike Sosha, you know, whoever known. Sosha runs the bases, baby. That's, that's, we <laughs> had him on the, yeah, we had him on the podcast. I said, Sosh, yeah. in, in those meetings before we used to play you, you know, they won the World Series in 02. And I said, that Mariner clubhouse, what we used to say is these guys will run in your face. And, and it, it's remarkable. To this day, I watch teams that run the bases. You find out real quick 
how those outfield arms aren't as accurate as you think they are when you put the pressure on them day in and day out. And I think that was the difference maker in 02 with that, with that Anaheim team uh, that made them win the world series. I I'm, I'm convinced to this day, it was about the intangibles they did. They had a really good team, but what separated mm-hmm. them from everybody else is, is they, they ran the bases and they, and they ran you to death and they well, like stole, stole games. Yeah, they put the pressure on you guys, on the pitcher, on the defense, and then that's what it was. That's what made them win. Ryan, top. Yeah. Give me three in your career. Give me three of the mm-hmm. toughest toughest hitters to face for Ryan Franklin. Uh, well, I, I know the number number one is Garrett Anderson. Remember Big G, the Garrett Anderson? I, I, I do. Yeah, dude, so comfortable in the plate, man. He 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 is the 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 guy that was most comfortable in there. I actually would th- try to throw in like at his rib cage, and he would just like whoop, just jump out of the way, all cool, and just rake me always. So he he's he's one of them. Stinking Rafael Palmero raked me, toughest out, and freaking Manny Ramirez. Pretty Joel? good three. Wow, the one guy I know for sure, it's a Joe Maurer. Man, that guy, whatever I threw, that guy was just and, – and I'm not saying he just to hit homers. It was just he'll go the other way with the ball. He'll pull it up the middle. It's like, man, what are you doing? Throw? I, he, he might have known what was coming or something. And the catchers, I don't know, they were telling him what's coming because that guy, I think, you know, raked me and hit like six run up for me. Robinson Cano is another guy that really, you know, hurt me a lot. And – and I would put either Manny or Poppy in that same, you know, conversation. And one thing I learned when I went to Boston in 07, and I was like, I, I, I sat on both in spring training. I said, come here, guys. All right, what's going on? They're like, because sometimes I would throw three fastballs away to Manny. He'll take them. And I was like, he strikes out. I was like, what's going on? Next step battle, I'm going to fool him with a slider. Boom. Home run the other way. We're off the wall. And I was like, and they're like, well, we knew what was your best pitch that day. And we were just going to sit on that pitch. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah. Davis, like, I knew you were going to throw fastballs in, but I didn't want that. I wanted to change up up in a way that I could go off the monster. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Because they knew I was going to throw to him at one point in in a bat. So I learned a lot from those two guys. So it's crazy how those minds work. That's pretty good when you can just look for one pitch and sit on it and then you don't miss it. Those guys are yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's after yeah. battle. You got to sit it. And when you get it, don't miss it. And, and the yeah. guys I found through, throughout my career that I watched as as opponents, hitters on other teams, the guys that mm-hmm. were most patient. You you mentioned Manny Ramirez. I'd watch Manny hit, and he would set people up. You might strike him out twice on sliders, low and away. And I would tell the guys coming out of the pen, I said, "Listen, in the eighth inning, when he got two two runs on, I know he's been swinging at everything today." He's going to be waiting for that slider. And I don't even care if you make a good pitch with it. He's sitting on it. He's sitting on your neck. And, well, I think that's that's kind of why Manny, you know, has the career and the numbers that he had. You know, he's got some controversy, but what a what a freaking hitter. What a freaking yeah. hitter. Yeah. Ryan, uh, what are you up to these days? I know you're, you're playing a lot of golf. You just got off the yep. course. Big daily. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you work. You, you've been working for the Cardinals. You still with the Cardinals? No, I'm not. I uh, I was one of the COVID COVID fireys, <laughs> supposedly. Oh, the co- so, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob, so in Bob 2020, 2020, yeah. I uh, I was with them 
doing uh, the special assistant to the GM slash president role for from 12 to 20. And then the GM president called me, I don't know, like October of 20 or something. And he's like, Hey, Frankie, man, I hate to do it, but you know, we're losing all kinds of money. Well, buddy, I ain't making no money. Just go ahead and tell me I'm fired. <laughs> so he, he did. And then, uh, so, uh, I'm in the, um, obviously got my four, four kids, my family, I got a grandbaby and obviously that's keeping us really busy. Um, and let's see, I'm, I have rental properties, um, in, in Oklahoma. Um, I'm in the medical marijuana business. We have a testing lab, but we test all the, all the, uh, medical marijuana before it can get sold in these dispensaries, which is something I would never thought that I would do. But my wife has a degree in biochemistry and she's like, when this came about in Oklahoma three years ago, she was like, Hey, we should open a testing lab. So we test for like pesticides, heavy metals, potency, terpenes, all that stuff. But, uh, it's, it's doing good, man. It's doing good. Got a couple of those. So that's, Very cool. and I play a lot of golf trying to get on your level on the golf. Well, it, it, we've talked, it, you know, my level's <laughs> going backwards. So, so you, you're going to catch me soon. Joel, what well, have you been up to? Well, Booney, when you use two batting gloves to play golf, you know that's not a good sign, by the way. <laughs> that's true, and I still do it, Joel. I, I, can, I cannot get away from it, you know. Yeah. And any time oh, we're on the course and the bets start to, to break out with, you know, guys I haven't played with, that's that's my go-to. I said, a guy with two, two gloves on, how can you take him serious? <laughs> Obviously, you got to bet me, right? Or be careful of that guy, too. Be careful of that guy. What have you been up to, Joel? So I've been coaching once my my son was in high school as a freshman. Uh, I've been helping out with the varsity team here as a pitching coach. Uh, He graduated last year. He's at FIU now. And the coach kind of said, hey, can we stick around a little longer? So, you know, we'll see. I got, you know, my daughter's in 10th grade. And then I have twin boys that are in 7th grade. So hopefully they're getting close to that level, too. And, you know, like I said, at one point, for some reason, I think I want to get back into the game. I think with the whole old school mentality that I know Frankie has and I have and with the new, you know, numbers and exit velo and all this spin stuff, I think it's a good combination that I would love to get back into it. I think I have enough that I can give back. And uh, both as of now, I'm at the high school and we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. Very cool. Ryan, Joel, I appreciate you coming on the Boone podcast. That was a lot of fun. Uh, And as we do each and every Boone podcast at the end, we kick it back to the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, for a question from the fans. Dano. (laughs) You rang. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, this one goes to both of you, and I'll get you guys one at a time. I cannot let you leave this podcast without one really good Brett Boone story. Hmm. So whichever one of you guys wants to take it first, we got all night long, and this podcast is uncensored. Go. All right. So probably my favorite Boone story is it has to do with one of our other teammates, and I don't really care. It's uh, Cirillo. (laughs) (laughs) and it was something it was something about Cirillo was struggling so bad he gets a hitting guru and he he leaves the team just goes AWOL and then Booney I mean there's many Cirillo stories but like Booney like put yellow tape I think maybe all over his locker and then he like hung he hung like 
some of his, I think it was his sliders, because Thrill was yeah. <laughs> it had some stuff in it. <laughs> Something I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I know Cirillo, and, and he probably wouldn't care if I said it, but who cares if he does? But anyway, it was uh, and Booney just put his put his sliders up there with his uh, skid marks in him up there, uh, hanging from the rafters so everybody could see. And that was just uh, that was that was one. And Booney had the most bats in his locker than anyone. And I mean, he was just like, hey, let's go pick a winner. You know, I thought he was a natural or something, but uh, it, was, it was pretty comical. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I got kind of too. I, I used to love after work, after the games, the booty bootleg workout. So he would go in his sliders and the one of those he, – he had a new T-shirt every day. Oh, chick stick the long ball or chick stick boon or is it boon? You know, and planet <laughs> Cut off the sleeves, like to have to the belly sleeve and, and his sliders, and he will have a beer in his hand. And you see him doing rows, or you do see him doing chest and lat pull downs. He goes, Yeah, you know what it is, son. It's the boom, boom, bootleg workout. You got to get it in. That's how I did. That's how I dropped bombs. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Booney's shirts to me were, were classic. Jeff, that man, I remember Booney's shirts. The shirts too. were unbelievable. Gentlemen, we appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. It's been a good one. Can I have your voice? You may. <laughs> if, I could, <laughs> if I could experience one day in the major leagues like you did, I'll switch with you right now. Uh, great Thank trip, you, off. Dan, Dan, you got to stick to the Boone diet if you want to get to the big league. I was going to say, can I, have the, can I have the diet they're talking about? That sounds about right. That's the way it was back then. Plenty of hops. (laughs) Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming on. You guys rock. Thanks for having us. Let's do this again sometime. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe never miss an episode and while you're at it give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the moon podcast he is brett boone you can find him on social media at the moon 29 i'm dan levy bass on air that is base on air all my social medias thanks for listening we'll do it again soon have a great one